The Bible reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through to 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. What do you say? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Alright. Good morning, church. My name is James. It is great to be here with you this morning. Now, I learned something this week. Do you know, if you Google uh, looking for an image of a triangle without three sides, Google will immediately come back and ask you the question, did you mean a triangle with three sides? Now, the reason that Google does this is obvious. It's because the idea of a triangle without three sides makes no sense whatsoever. It's like talking about the ocean without water. It's a, it's a Tim without a Tam. It's a youth pastor without a TikTok account. And you just can't have one without the other. Okay? They, they, they just go together. And so this morning, what we're going to be talking about is what it means for Christ to be essential to the church, because the truth is you can't have a church without Christ. But despite that, there are these exhortations to us in Scripture to keep Christ at the center. So we're going to look at this topic today by looking at uh, these two big ideas. The first part of the sermon is looking at Christ is the center of the church, and then the second is going to be looking at the idea of how we must keep Christ at the center of church. So part one gets broken up into three points here. Christ makes the church, Christ is the head of the church, and Christ dwells in the church. So let's start by looking at this first one, Christ makes the church. We get a sense of this in Matthew chapter 16, the the passage that Matt read just before. Uh, Jesus has been teaching the disciples about who he is. He's been showing everyone who he is by the miracles that he's been doing. And his boy Peter is having it begin to dawn on him just who Jesus really is. So we read in that passage when Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, uh, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus has been calling himself the Son of Man a lot. They give him this report, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets, but who do you say that I am? Jesus asked them. Peter steps up, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Nails it, gets it in one. Great job, Pete. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means the rock, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
Jesus is saying that I'm going to build my church on this rock. Now, you know, we've had different ideas about what this, what this rock might be. Catholics tend to think that it's talking about Peter himself. Some think it's Jesus, because Peter and Paul call uh, Jesus the rock in some of their later epistles, letters to the churches, that sort of stuff. I think it's probably this declaration that Peter has just given, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But the important thing for us this morning to see is this. He says on this rock, I will build my church. Okay, Jesus makes the church. Jesus says, I will build my church. The one who's responsible for making the church, the one who is the reason the church exists at all, is Jesus himself. He is the one who builds the church. And not only this, but he builds it in and on himself, as we see in Ephesians, the passage that the kids saw in Kidsbop. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus is the one who builds the church and he builds it in himself and on himself. The church exists through Jesus, for Jesus, and by Jesus. Christ is the one who makes the church. That's point one. Second point here, and what it means that Christ is at the center of the church, is that he is the head of the church. We see this in a couple of places in scripture. Uh, we saw in week one of our series, looking at the idea of Christ at the center, this passage from Colossians. It says there in verse one eighteen, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And in the the sister passage that goes along with the letter to the Ephesians, Paul also writes, And God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's through Jesus Christ as the head of the church that we become one people, that we become one body, as it says in Romans. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There's lots of different churches throughout the world, different denominations, different local churches, and that's all great. They're local expressions of where believers gather together, and that's awesome. But we're still part of this one big body of faith that has Jesus Christ as the head of the church. There is no other who is the preeminent and prominent one that sits at the head of the church and both rules over and leads them in all that he does. So, Christ makes the church. Christ is the head of the church, but also Christ dwells in his church. See, Jesus doesn't just build the church or, or sort of sign off on things as it goes along as like some sort of distant figure sitting in an office and then the church is out there. He is in it and amongst it at all times by his spirit. It says here in Romans chapter 8, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. 
And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. By His Spirit, Jesus Christ dwells in us. He dwells in the heart of every individual believer. This is actually what Jesus promised to his disciples before his crucifixion. On the night before, he said to them, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When we believe in Jesus, not only do we abide in him, but he also abides in us. He lives in us. He infuses us. He is one who is amongst us, not distant and removed, but here present in all those who believe in him. And it's important, I think, that we realize that when Paul and Jesus both spoke these words, they weren't writing to a you as an individual. Sometimes our English language lets us down because we don't have a word you that sort of communicates that we're talking to a group. We use the same one for both a singular you and a plural you. But in this Romans passage and in this passage here and from John as well, they're really saying yous. Like, I live in yous. And I just wanted to sort of re- 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 rework this Romans passage just a little bit to get this idea. I haven't gone with yous, I've gone with you guys, uh, meaning guys and girls, sorry ladies, not trying to exclude you here. But just listen to this verse again when we translate it as you guys instead of you. You guys, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you guys. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you guys, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you guys, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you guys and your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you guys. See, it's this plural idea, it just puts a little bit of a different angle on it, doesn't it? To understand that the Spirit of God isn't just living in me as an individual, but He's living in all of us. He dwells in His church, not just between us, but in each and every single one of us. It's what unites us together. It's what makes us one body together. So Christ is at the center of the church. He can't help but be at the center of the church because he is the one who makes it. He's the one who is the head of the body of the church. And he is the one who dwells in the hearts of all believers and unites us together and makes us one body, one temple, one household. Okay? Jesus Christ is unequivocally, without a doubt, absolutely and completely the center of the church. So, if that's the case, if it's irrefutable that Jesus is at the center of the church, that he just is at the center of the church, then why do we need to worry about keeping Christ at the center of the church? Isn't it something that it just is? Well, that's true, but at the same time, we see all these exhortations 
and encouragements in Scripture to make sure that we keep Christ at the centre of the church, specifically keeping the Christ of the gospel of the apostles at the centre of the church. Uh, This passage is from the book of Revelations. It's the first of several letters written to, to multiple churches in the book of Revelations, and this is the angel of Lord, the Lord speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The church in Ephesus were great at hating wickedness. They were even great at, at making sure that there weren't you know, false apostles amongst them. They, they, they persevered, they endured for Jesus' name. They'd not grown weary and yet, somehow, they'd fallen away from their first love, which is, of course, Christ himself. And the warning that comes to them now is, if you don't make Christ your first love, if you don't return to what you first loved, first and foremost, then your lampstand might be removed. It's a a really scary idea, actually. And we see this again and again in Scripture. Here's Paul writing to his disciple Timothy. He says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Here in the church, people will come and they will proclaim and they will teach and it will be something that sounds so good to our hearts because it's what our itching ears want to hear. And if we're not on our guard, if we're not keeping our eyes firmly fixed on Christ of the gospel, then we can be waylaid and follow after falsehood and myth. Here he is to the elders in Ephesus. Paul, again, writing to the church there. He's setting these elders in and he says to them, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Paul is sitting in these leaders of the church and he wants to make sure that the gospel of Christ is going to be preserved and that Christ will be worshipped above all. And he warns them saying, some are going to come from the outside and try and lead you astray, but some will rise up from amongst your own number and start to do a distortion of the truth which will lead people away. You have to be on your guard. Christ is at the center of the true church and yet we have to fight and make sure that we are on our guard to keep him at the center of the church. I said to the youth on Friday night, this is why when you come to church, we begin by singing praise to God. We begin by praying a prayer of confession to acknowledge our sin.
before him. We hear about what's happening in the life of the church. We sing in praise and response to that. We do stuff for the kids so that the kids can hear about the word of God. We pray prayers of petition, asking God to give us those things that we need in order to love and serve Him well. We read the Bible publicly so His word is proclaimed. And we hear a sermon, an interpretation of God's word for today to think about how we can live for Him. And we sing and we send people out with a blessing so that the Spirit might be with them. Everything that we do is designed to keep Christ at the center of church. Because again, we see this exhortation again and again in Scripture. Be mindful of this. Paul again in 2 Corinthians. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Our hearts at all times must be on guard to make sure that the gospel that we are believing, the truth that we are proclaiming, is the gospel that was first preached to us, based on the teachings of Jesus that the apostles then shared with the early church. That is the gospel that we need to be making sure that we are focusing on and guarding and protecting at all times and having at the center of all that we do, that person of Jesus as revealed to us in the scriptures. So Christ is at the center of the church. And we must keep Christ at the center of church. And I want to give you just a couple of examples here of how even though you might think that here at Gosford PC, you know, because we do all that good stuff to keep things focused on Christ, that there's no way that we could ever go astray. But the thing is this. Remember, Paul, when he spoke about people coming from amongst our own number that might lead people astray. He didn't say that they would outright reject Christ. He didn't say they would outrightly reject truth. What he said they would do is preach a distortion of the truth. It still kind of looks like it, but that doesn't mean that it's on point. And that's why it's so deceptive and slippery. Now, as I give these examples, here's the warning that I want to give to you, okay? This might hit kind of close to home, depending on where you're at. And so I need to prepare your heart now to be challenged, because for some of you, this is something that could already be happening. And you might be offended, but I want you to just pause, and don't just immediately go with the offense, but listen to what I have to say, and let the Spirit challenge you as it's challenged me this week. I'm going to show two sets of images. If you are politically conservative then I expect the first set of images might offend you. If you are particularly uh, concerned about people in the LGBTQI plus community, or if you're same-sex attracted yourself, then the second set of images might offend you. But like I said, just hear me out as we look at this. This is not a political rally. This is a church. And this is reflective of what it looks like when a church that proclaims Christ and says that the Bible is God's word starts to preach a distortion of the truth where things get confused as to what's really meant to be at the center. And political, you know, conservative values become the center rather than Jesus himself. 
The great enemy in the world today are lefties and progressives and snowflakes and tree-hugging communists and this sort of idea. The great enemy of the world becomes a political ideal, not sin and death, the enemies that Jesus taught us about. And it's right there at the centre of church, where I bet that that morning a Bible message was proclaimed, where I bet Jesus' name was worshipped. And yet at the same time, there's just a shifting there, isn't it? It's a distortion of what's meant to be at the centre of church. Same thing here. It's a church. And yet what's being that the flag that's being flown, quite literally, is a flag that represents a movement that contains lots of people who have been hurt and wounded in all sorts of different ways, but it's also representative of an ethic that says, my body is mine to do with as I please in accordance with my desires and what I want to do with it. That God wouldn't judge me. God wouldn't want to, you know, for me to deny myself or not live in accordance with what I feel to be the best expression of my sexuality. In fact, to do anything apart from that would be to limit my humanity. It would make me less than human if I wasn't doing everything that I desired to do. And it's not just an LGBTQI issue. This is for gay and straight people. It's anyone that has this individualism that says, it's all about me and what I want to do. It's the person that gets to the point where saying, I will end the life of this child in me. Because it's my body to do with as I please. These are both different expressions of what it looks like when a church can get off center. Now, if you are politically conservative, if you're same-sex attracted, I'm not in any way trying to say that you're not welcome here this morning. You are. And I'm not saying the church isn't for you. That absolutely is. What I'm doing is presenting these images to us to challenge us to make us think about what it looks like for when the church gets off the center and fails to keep Christ at the center of all we're doing. I believe that Jesus and the Bible speaks to both of us and whatever thing that we would be tempted to put at the center of church instead of Jesus. Jesus speaks to politics. He speaks to our sexuality. These things are all really, really important. But this is the thing. We can't let those things push Christ from the center. That is the distortion of the truth. Everything must come under the one who makes the church, who is the head of the church, and who dwells in the church. He is the one that we first and foremost need to make sure that we are building everything else under that great builder who sits over all. It's so hard to keep Christ at the center of church when we live in a culture that has these competing narratives about what the big enemy in the world is and what we need to be most afraid of and who the bad guys really are. And especially when there is a price to pay when we go against one of these movements or centers of thought in our community. Believe me, I thought about it as I got ready to preach these messages and bring up these topics. There's a price to pay just by pointing this out. And yet this is the hard work that we have to do to keep Christ at the center, to make sure that we don't turn from our first love. And I just want to finish with one more example of how this can happen, because it's not just politics, it's not just sexuality, it can be all sorts of different things. It can even be a minister or a pastor. Did you notice there how in the middle of this, these verses that I was showing you, that Paul referenced, if anyone comes and preaches a different gospel to you, I didn't have time to include it for time's sake, but In Galatians, Paul actually says, even if we come and preach a different gospel to you, don't listen to us. And so I share this last example, not because 
I'm particularly worried at present about Matt or I leading you astray, but rather to show you just how easily something can sneak into the church where we replace Christ being at the center. There's a podcast at the moment called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I think it's number six on like iTunes worldwide. It's number 28 on Spotify. It's the number one religious podcast in Australia at the moment. And it tells the story of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, led by Mark Driscoll, and the incredible uh, movement that it kicked off and then the way that it crumbled in the wake of a lot of things that were wrong and unhealthy with the church. This is Jesse Bryant. He was in charge of the video production team. And in the most recent episode of the podcast, he told a story that honestly just left me on the verge of tears uh, as he told it. I've cut it down and condensed it to fit it in for this morning, but you can listen to the, the whole thing yourself pretty easily. So let me read it out. He tells the story of when the video team went to Turkey with... Uh, Mark Driscoll, in order to film a preaching series that they were going to be filming in church, sort of a, a tour of the Holy Land, that sort of a deal. It goes like this. When we were in Turkey, which is where Ephesus was, uh, sorry, no, that's not where Ephesus was, but when we were in Turkey, uh, he said, keep in mind, he says, this team was like killing themselves for Mark. We were shooting all day and lugging these giant cameras and sticks up and down these mountains. It was gnarly. And I kid you not, we get in the bus and we're like half dead. We get in the bus and we're with Mark and we pull into this place called Aqua Fantasy. That's how he says it, Aqua. And it's like this resort. And we're like, dude, it has a private beach and you go in through these gates and there are these little gazebos and everybody gets a golf cart and it's like this insane resort. Literally everybody has a mini pool behind their gazebos and we're like, dude, we have never been to a place like this. This is going to be awesome. And he, Mark, is like, well, all right, guys, I get off here. And he gets off with his family. The bus pulls out and we, the video team, go into downtown and we stay in a flea bag motel. There was so much mold I had really bad allergies and they had to keep switching rooms because I couldn't stop sneezing. And then we would have to stay up all night long dumping and cutting footage and meanwhile, market shop to set after being at Aqua Fantasy. It was wild. And you know what's crazy is, Nate Burke, who was also part of the video team, while we were there when Driscoll read the letter to Ephesus from the book of Revelations we saw earlier, he said this, I was in the middle by like that, that tomb that was there, and Nate walks up to me. And Mark is standing on the steps, the sun's going down, it's beautiful. And then Nate looks at me and says, that letter is all about us. You have abandoned your first love, he said. That letter is about us. And I was like, oh, dang, because Nate doesn't miss any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was gnarly. And you're watching the sun go down while he preaches. And he's like, dang, he's preaching about us. We've abandoned our first love. It's not all about Jesus. It's all about Mark. And that was a wrap. Our sinful human hearts can take anything and put them at the center of church when it should be all about Jesus. It terrifies me a story like this. Because to be in the privileged position that I have this morning to speak to you guys, there is this fear and concern that somehow we could make this about ourselves instead of making it about the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead to save ourselves. We have to always be on guard to make sure that we are keeping Christ at the center. And so what it means is when we come to church, we don't come with a focus on ourselves. We come with a focus on Jesus and those that he wants to love. We don't come to church asking, what can I get? How can my agenda be met today? 
How can what I think is most important be proclaimed and preached, but rather, how can the name of Jesus be lifted on high? How can I be trained and equipped and sent out in order that I can proclaim Jesus wherever I might go so that his name might be lifted on high? Whether you are 3, 13, 33, or 83, whatever's going on in your life, what needs to happen when we come to church is that our issues and concerns fall at the feet of Jesus and we lift his name on high again. And when we do that, then we can let him speak to all of the issues of the day. We can hear his words. We can't get ourselves to a place where because we're politically conservative, we ignore the verses that speak about Christ taking care of the foreigners and the aliens and the poor amongst us. It doesn't mean that it means that we, we get to a point where just because we want to be sexually expressive and individual and everything, that we ignore the verses where Jesus taught us that sex was for marriage and between a man and a woman. It means that we listen to what Jesus has to say to us and we let him be the center of our lives as we gather together and are transformed by him and his spirit which dwells amongst us. It's not easy, but it's good. And more and more, as we live in this world with competing cultural narratives that would give us a different picture about what we really need to be concerned about, what we need to be making sure that we're doing, above all, is keeping Christ at the center. So this, this week, let's make sure that we really evaluate our own agendas and what we think the church should be doing. Because if it's anything apart from preaching Christ and Christ crucified and lifting his name above, above all others and seeking to obey him in all of his counsel to us, then we need to confess and repent and return to our first love. And by God's spirit, we can do that in the joy and grace that he gives to us. Let's pray for that now. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you that he has made his church. Thank you, Lord, that he sits as the head over it. And thank you, Father, that he dwells amongst us, amongst all who believe. We pray, Father, that we be faithful here and in local churches across the world to keep Christ at the center. That we would lay down our own agendas at the foot of the cross in order that we might lift his name on high and truly listen to him and seek to obey him above all others, regardless of what it costs us in this world, in church, amongst those who would raise up amongst us to distort the truth. May we proclaim ferociously and fiercely the truth of the gospel and love you with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength in order that your name may be lifted on high as it should. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.